and welcome back to Shoesmiths on Tap, the podcast where we talk about what's going on in the world of pensions. 2024 is now in full swing and we're starting to get a clearer idea of what the year has in store for us. Indeed, we've already had one eagerly awaited development in the form of the Pensions Regulators General Code that was laid in Parliament on the 10th of January and is set to come into force in late March. So with things already moving at pace, we thought it would be a good time for us, the Shoesmiths Pensions team, to have a quick chat about the pensions landscape in 2024. So I'm joined by a number of my colleagues today to do just that. With us today, we have David Thompson, partner and head of the pensions team, who you've heard on this podcast before. Partner Susie Burrell, who is also a familiar voice here on Shoesmiths on Tap. We also have Principal Associate Sarah Jenkins, Alexandra Ventham and Simon Rowley. And as ever, you've got me, Kim Widima. I'm the team's professional support lawyer. So that's quite a crowd. We better get going before we run out of time. Sarah, I'm going to come to you first because I know you want to talk about a topic that is still on everyone's lips and that's the NTL and Virgin Media case. In that case, as everyone around this table will remember, the High Court held that rule amendments that affect so-called Section 92B rights are void where confirmation from the Scheme Actuary under Section 37 of the Pension Schemes Act 1993 wasn't obtained in relation to those amendments. That's right. Thank you, Kim. And this was a big issue for some of our clients in the second half of last year. And I think that's going to continue to be the case, at least for the first part of 2024, as the appeal on the case isn't due to take place until late June. The uncertainty created by this case, I think, is especially difficult for schemes which are at or close to the point of a transaction like a buyout, who are suddenly faced with the potential of additional and unintended liabilities. It makes it really difficult for trustees, for instance, to confirm to insurers that historic rule amendments were validly implemented and that benefits are being paid in accordance with the rules. But the uncertainty doesn't necessarily end with the appeal. The High Court wasn't asked to consider a number of really important points. For example, what, if anything, might be considered evidence of a Section 37 confirmation having been obtained, where the confirmation itself can't be found. So, unless the Court of Appeal overturns the original decision, there'll be further questions outstanding. The NTL trustees have previously confirmed that a further hearing would be held to address these sorts of issues, but the timeline for that will depend on the outcome of the appeal. So for now, it's a really frustrating case of watch this space and speak to your advisors. Thanks, Sarah. I certainly feel your pain on that one, and I don't think I've spoken to a single person in the industry who doesn't share your same sense of frustration on it. David, I'm going to come to you next as our illustrious leader. What issues do you think will or should be high on trustee agendas this year? Linking back to Sarah's comments uh, regarding buyout transactions, I think journey planning is going to be a top priority for a lot of schemes this year. Last year, countless DB schemes saw their funding positions improved thanks to positive interest rate and gilt yield movements. And we've heard from insurers across the board that 2023 and 2024 are expected to be record years for the volumes of buyout transactions. Not every scheme is there yet, certainly, but we are seeing more schemes than ever moving closer and closer towards that and considering what their endgame might look like. That endgame is not necessarily going to be the same for every scheme. Indeed, we spoke on the podcast last year about two separate transfers into DB Master Trusts, which we'd worked on in the team. You see a steady stream of master trust transfers amongst our DC clients too. So whilst journey planning is mostly discussed in the context of DB schemes, we know from experience that it's not just restricted to them. Buyout remains dominant though, and the byproduct of buyout is the need to wind up a scheme. So as lawyers, I think we're going to see more of these projects in the next year or two, 
And as we know, windups can be complicated and time-consuming tasks, especially if you're running a buyout project in parallel. There can be a tendency to see a scheme windup as simply a tidying up exercise after a buyout is complete, but it's often more complex than that. It's a really good point, David. And of course, one of the issues we're seeing DB schemes grapple with at the moment when they're in their winding up phase is surplus. Susie, you and I first started talking about surplus at industry events back in July 2022. And when we first suggested it as a topic, a few people looked at it as like we had two heads. But, you know, fast forward 18 months and we've gone from surplus being a thing of the past to a near constant source of discussion wherever we go, wouldn't you say? Yes, that, that's right, Kim. I'd certainly agree with that. I, I'd like to say that we've been talking about surplus since before it was famous. Um, and it's definitely becoming an issue for more and more DB schemes. We had the sort of fallout from from the trustonomics. Um, and it's it's definitely a conversation that I'm having probably with, with most most of my my schemes um there's all sorts of stats i think the ppf 7800 index said there was a surplus of 128.2 billion at the end of december so that gives a an idea of the, of the scale of things at the moment and i think the the challenge that employers and trustees have is that it's notoriously hard to get the surplus from a scheme once it's in there unless you're winding up the scheme and even at that point it's not at all straightforward and i think one of the the big conversations and debates that we're getting between trustees and employers and members in particular is actually how that surplus should be used. And for ongoing schemes, we're seeing lots of questions about whether surplus should be used to fund discretionary increases to pre-97 basis um, benefits, which don't have the statutory rules on increases to pensions and payment, particularly given that that pensioners and, and the world at large is still in a very high inflation environment and we're seeing some some of the larger uk schemes being reported in the media on this issue and members in in some schemes are beginning to bring complaints about their scheme employers refusing to award discretionary increases um we've certainly seen some pensions ombudsman cases i know you're talking about complaints more generally later in on in the session so i suspect that will be there'll be topics to watch over the year and then when we get to the winding up position, that's often the point where the surplus is effectively crystallised and then you've got the conversations to be had, well, what powers do the trustees have? Should they be using that surplus to improve member benefits? Should it be used in another scheme or perhaps for the benefits of employees of, of DC schemes? Um, or should the employer get, get that money back? And what we're finding in buy-in projects when we're progressing to wind up is actually the earlier the conversation can be had, the easier it is or simpler it can be to plan that in, particularly if you are going to uplift benefits under the um, insurance contract, because obviously you need to get the insurer to, to assist in that process and to support that. So there's there's quite a lot of careful planning and discussion in those situations. And it goes back to points we've discussed before, that this all depends on what scheme rules allow. And there's been lots of discussion and the government had their call of ev call for evidence earlier in the year, or last year rather, where the government thought that actually this inability to extract surplus is potentially a barrier to investment in, in UK growth. Um, and the call for evidence, they've published their response or, or their initial findings for that, which is quite interesting because a lot of the stakeholders who replied said, well, it's not necessarily going to lead to an increased investment in UK PLC because trustees have their 
fiduciary duties in terms of investment. So it's not a given that they will invest in productive finance in, in this country. They, they've got quite broad fiduciary duties that they have to think about. And also the findings in the call for evidence revealed that there's lots of mixed views about the flexibility around surplus extraction. I think one thing to bear in mind is that it was probably only two years ago, three years ago that we were talking about scheme funding, deficits, recovery plans, the new funding code, the new funding regime, and that was in a completely different environment. So it shows how things can can change. So surplus volatility is one of the things that everyone will be watching. And then also those views around surplus extraction, should it be going back to the employer? Should we be locking in improvements in benefits on member positions first before it goes back to the employer? So it's definitely, definitely one to watch and it'll be interesting to see where this goes during 2024. Great. Thanks, Susie. Certainly a lot to think about. Surplus, as we know, just isn't as straightforward as it sometimes seems at first glance. Simon, what about you? What do you think trustees or indeed employers are going to spend a lot of their time thinking about this year? It's hard to talk about the 2024 agenda without mentioning the Mansion House changes. I know there is a lot of speculation at the moment about how many of those changes will actually make it into law particularly if the Labour Party is elected uh, in the general election. But the fact remains that the proposals represent a significant overhaul of the UK pension system and will rightly, rightfully be the topic of much debate in the coming months. We've spoken a lot today about DB issues, but the Mansion House reforms, of course, largely affect DC schemes and outcomes for DC savers. One of the government's key aims is consolidation in the DC market, it wants to see the majority of DC savers with their pensions managed in schemes with assets of over 30 billion. So very large schemes by 2030. We've already seen some consolidation in the DC market, even without these changes. As David mentioned earlier, a number of clients have transferred their DC schemes or sections to master trusts in the last couple of years. One of the drivers for that is the increasingly complex governance requirements placed on DC trustees. Those requirements are likely to become more onerous in the coming years with the introduction of things like own risk assessment as part of the pensions regulator's general code. The proposed joint value for money framework and the plethora of duties surrounding pensions dashboards are uh, to name just a few. It's not yet clear when any of these changes are likely to come in force. The government is still considering industry feedback in a number of areas. The most recent of those was a call for evidence on the so-called pop for life model which closed yesterday, 24th of January. If nothing else, I suspect trustee boards will be asking their advisors to help keep them up to date with all of the various moving parts as these initiatives develop throughout the year. It is a bit of a minefield at the moment, isn't it? I, for one, am I'm eagerly awaiting an update from the government on what it plans to do next. So thanks, Simon. Alexandra, what's on your mind for the coming year? Well, similar to Simon's logic, I don't think we can talk about 2024 without acknowledging the tax elephant in the room. It's been the better part of a year since the government announced its plans to scrap the lifetime allowance, and administrators have been paying benefits on the basis that neither the lifetime allowance nor the associate tax charge apply since last April. It's easy in some respects to assume that as an industry, we've adjusted to a world with no lifetime allowance and that we know what we're doing. However, as the law stands today, the lifetime allowance still exists, and the legislation to remove it from law does not come into force until the 6th of April. That legislation comes in the form of a finance bill, 
which was published last year. It's a horribly complicated piece of legislation, and I don't think many pension professionals, if any, have truly got to grips with what every part of it means and its potential implications. It's just that complex. There have been a lot of calls amongst the industry to delay the finance bill, to allow more time to understand the full impact of removing the lifetime allowance from legislation. Tax is complicated in a general sense, even more so in a pensions context. So there is a real need to get it right to prevent some real headaches further down the line. If the changes do come into force on 6th of April as planned, we might face further uncertainty if the Labour Party is elected in the general election. The Labour Party was quite vocal last year about reinstating the lifetime allowance if it came into power. Reinstatement would be a very difficult job and many think that Labour wouldn't actually follow through with its plans, but it does create a lingering uncertainty. The Times ran an article just last week on what the election could mean for pensions. It was aimed at scheme members, not pension professionals. As the issue becomes more prominent in mainstream media, trustees can probably expect to receive some queries from members. At the moment, those queries will be difficult to address, which is a frustrating position for trustees. Frustration seems to be the theme for 2024 so far, and out of frustration often comes member complaints, as we see all the time. Last year, when we recorded our thoughts on what to expect in 2023, I thought we would see an increase in member complaints, and I'm saying the same thing again this year. As Susie mentioned earlier, as an industry, we've seen already a flurry of complaints about uh, the payment of discretionary increases, and I think we'll see more complaints along those lines in the coming months. The Pensions Ombudsman seems to agree as well. In its corporate plan for 2023 to 2026, which it published back in December, the Ombudsman reported that demand for its services continues to rise faster than it expected. Last year, it predicted that demand would increase by just 10%, but in reality, it was almost double that at 17%. And over the course of the next three years, the Ombudsman predicts that demand will increase by another 12% per year. One thing I personally would like to see resolved this year to help address the root cause of some of those complaints is the issue surrounding conditions for transfer regulations, and in particular the overseas investments amber flag. The existence of overseas investments, as we know, is very common in pension schemes, so that amber flag is unnecessarily diverting low-risk cases to the money helper service, which is causing increases to waiting times, it's leading to delays, and that's leading to subsequent complaints. The DWP is aware of the issue. It reviewed the regulations last year, and it said it was considering the position further. Whether that will actually translate into an amendment to the regulations this year or not remains to be seen. If we know one thing for sure, based just on the issues we've just discussed today, it's that the DWP is spinning a lot of plates in 2024. That's all we've got time for today. So thanks everyone for your thoughts on what the year has in store for us. Maybe we'll revisit some of these issues in a later episode as the year unfolds. In the meantime, if you want to find out more about the Shoesmiths Pensions team and the work that we do, please visit us at www.shoesmiths.com forward slash expertise forward slash services forward slash pensions. And if you've got any questions for us, please send them to pensionspsl at shoesmiths.com. Mm-hmm.